0: There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protectinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Ittrium, ittrium, Welcome ittrium, aboard! Lithium, and board, and niopium, a question a still hanging L- over L- from L- last L- 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 week. L- Who said L- it is easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled? Who said that? Okay, that's from last week, but I've got a couple of new questions for you for this week. Listen carefully. Kispeptin is a hormone involved in reproductive behavior and low levels have been associated with a low sex drive. Why is it called kisspentin? So kisspentin, a hormone involved in reproductive behavior, low levels associated with impaired sex drive, why is it called kisspentin? And one more, a 42-year-old man experienced fatal cardiac arrhythmia after repeated purposeful exposure to one one what consumer product did he use as a source of this chemical? So where was he getting the difluoroethane to which he was purposefully exposing himself? If you know the answer to any of those questions, or if you have a question of your own, 514-790-0800 is the number to call, and 514-800 is the text message. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society where we have a mandate of separating fact from myth, sense from nonsense. And in that vein, uh, coming up this Thursday, we're going to present a movie, the screening of a movie at Moise Hall at McGill University. The movie is called Virulent, and it is the story of vaccines. It is fascinating, it has history, it has current controversy, it has interviews with uh, uh, named people in this area, people like Paul Offit and even Robert Kennedy Jr. It is a film, I would say, not to be missed. I don't often say that, I've viewed it obviously, and I think it is extremely instructive. It addresses some very important points and uh, it will enlighten you about vaccines. As with everything else that we do, it is free, but we do ask you to register because we need to have some idea of the number of people coming uh, because the hall has obviously limited capacity. So if you would like to register, uh, it will be at seven o'clock on, on Thursday. And, uh, that's the, by date, what is that? That's May 11th. And, um, all you have to do is go to our website. Easy to remember. It is mcgill.ca slash OSS. OSS of course, stands for office for science and society. If you go there, uh, you will find a button to click to register. And of course, this is also the place to go to find hundreds of different articles, uh, hundreds, thousands of different articles that we have posted about all kinds of uh, issues over the last few decades. And uh, you can certainly educate yourself. All right, so that's the uh, uh, pitch for Uh, for today, but let's get down to some interesting matters. And and, uh, uh, I think many of you will remember uh, that epic day in uh, 1969, when uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono had their celebrated bed-in here in Montreal, the Queen Elizabeth Hotel. And uh, in room 1742, they actually recorded a song and uh, a song that, that became famous. It, it, uh, I think it went to number two on the uh, hit parade. It was called Give Peace a Chance. And uh, therein lies a story. But before we get to the story, let's uh, listen to a little bit uh, of uh, the song. The song it goes on for another uh, three or four uh, minutes, and uh, the the major voices that you hear there are those of John Lennon and Yoko Ono. But uh, if you've got a good ear, you know that there are other vocals in the background there, and uh, there actually is another guitar player too, and that was uh, Tommy Smothers. And some of the other voices that you hear in the background, Petula Clark, she of uh, downtown fame and um also singing along were a poet uh, Allen Ginsberg, ginsburg the i guess hippie or beat beatnik poet that, that was his uh, sort of uh, moniker uh, and um also in the crowd was timothy leary yes the timothy leary uh that's the one who was a harvard professor because before he was thrown out of Harvard. And uh, after being thrown out from Harvard, he became an icon of the counterculture movement with his promotion of psychedelics and his mantra of turn in on, tune in, drop out. Turn on, tune in, drop out. That's what Timothy Leary told people to do back in the 1960s. Well, what was the turn on referring to? LSD and psilocybin, mind-altering drugs that uh, Leary claimed would, now this is a quote now, enable each person to realize that he is not a game-playing robot put on this planet to be given a social security number and to be spun on an assembly line of school, college, career, insurance, funeral, goodbye. Well, Timothy Leary's path from respected scientist to psychedelic celebrity is an intriguing one. He got a PhD from Berkeley in psychology. And um, after that, he was hired by Harvard University. That was in 1959. And his early academic career uh, was uh, really uh, standard and unremarkable. He studied social relationships and psychotherapy. But all of this changed in 1960 when he was exposed to something that we have since come to call magic mushrooms. And uh, this happened on a a trip to Mexico with a colleague, Anthony Russo, who on a previous trip had experienced uh, magic mushrooms and uh, invited uh, uh, Leary to try it along with him uh, once more. Well, at that time, these mushrooms had uh, achieved a certain degree of popularity because of an article in 1957 in Life magazine. And that article was entitled Seeking the Magic Mushroom. It was written by Robert Gordon Wasson, an amateur mycologist. And Wasson had recounted how back in 1955, he had convinced a traditional healer in Mexico to allow him to take part in an ancient indigenous ritual using sacred mushrooms. Uh, His uh, description of the effects, particularly visions, sparked a lot of interest, including in in Russo, who had traveled to Mexico to try the fungi. And now he wanted to repeat the experience, and he did it together with Leary. They were able to get some of these uh, mushrooms and, uh leary said that uh, this was a classic visionary voyage from which i came back a changed man and uh he decided that it had to be explored further and his research at harvard then took on a, a new direction uh well uh once he got back to Harvard, he had brought back some psilocybin with him. Uh, that is some of the the mushrooms, that are called psilocybin mushrooms. And uh, at that time, this was totally legal. So he wasn't doing anything against the law. And at first he followed proper scientific methodology and investigated the possibility of aiding alcoholics with psilocybin and using it to rehabilitate some released uh, prisoners. Uh, But then uh, there were some uh, disturbing uh, aspects that began to be raised by some of uh, uh, fellow faculty members that this research was not being conducted in, in exactly a kosher fashion. Uh, Apparently, uh, some of the research was carried out when Leary and his colleague uh, uh, Alpert uh, were under the influence of psilocybin. And there were also allegations that the duo were actively promoting the use of hallucinogens for recreational purposes and had been uh, giving uh, drugs to uh, some uh, undergraduates. Uh, This, uh, of course, did not sit well with uh, Harvard administration, and in 1963, both leary and alpert were dismissed so come on guys get your thinking caps on or your fingers nimbly moving on the uh, on the keyboard i don't have any answers to the questions that i asked simple one who said it is easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled who said that Kisspentin, a hormone involved in reproductive behavior Low levels associated with low sex drive. Why is it called Kispentin? And last, a 42-year-old man experienced fatal cardiac arrhythmia after repeated purposeful exposure to difluoroethane. What consumer product did he use as a source of this chemical? Give us a call, 514-790-0800 or text to 514-800. I did get one question texted in about whether it is safe to use human urine in a or compost pile. Yes, you, you can pee on your compost pile if you like. In fact, Napoleon once issued an edict to force men to pee on what he called nitro beds. And these indeed were compost piles in the street because bacteria would convert um, urea and ammonia in urine into nitrates, which were needed for the manufacture of gunpowder. So indeed, uh, there's nothing wrong with peeing on your compost bed, although I'm not sure why you would want to do that. All right. I did finally get an answer to who said it is easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled. And that was Mark Twain. Mark Twain was one bright man. And he was absolutely correct by this. It is very difficult to convince someone that they have been fooled. Uh, Obviously, as we see with the 75 million people in the US who seem to believe that the election was uh, uh, stolen. Anyway, let me just uh, go on with the uh, story about Timothy Leary, uh, who was fired from uh, Harvard for... Uh, you know, for some uh, real issues, uh, you know, of enticing undergraduates to use hallucinogens and not carrying out research in a, in a proper way. So anyway, uh, after he was fired, there would be no more academic appointments for Leary. Uh, but uh, he kept on talking about the importance uh, that, uh, you know, he felt, uh, uh psychedelics were that that they could be very useful for what he said were serious purposes such as spiritual growth pursuit of knowledge and personal development and this made him an icon of the counterculture movement of the 1960s and uh, he became very well known there was a classic interview with him in Playboy magazine 1966, in which he claimed that in a carefully prepared, loving LSD session, a woman will inevitably have several hundred orgasms. Well, as you can imagine, that uh, that claim has been challenged by uh, uh, many women. Anyway, uh, he, he kept promoting uh, uh, LSD, he said, your life before was a still photograph that with LSD comes alive, balloons out to several dimensions and becomes irradiated with color and energy. Well, President Nixon didn't like that. And he called Leary the most dangerous man in America. He thought that that this uh, seduction of America's youth with psychedelics was a, a terrible thing. And uh, the legal system did indeed treat uh, uh, Leary as a dangerous man. Uh, ridiculously sentencing him to 30 years in prison for possession of a small amount of marijuana. Uh, while well, that conviction was overturned eventually by the Supreme Court, but he did spend some time in prison, including one in Folsom Prison in California. And he was in a cell, believe it or not, next to Charles Manson, the mass murderer. And there was uh, Leary because of possession of a few grams of, of uh, marijuana. Anyway, in the 70s and 80s, he became a, a real uh, sought-after spokesperson uh, on campuses. He wrote numerous articles, he wrote books, and he continued to describe his own experimentation with an array of psychedelic uh, drugs, although he was careful not to promote their use. He was you know, aware of the, of the law. Anyway, Timothy Leary, of course, uh, has to be involved in any discussion of psychedelics. And certainly, some of his uh, unorthodox experiments uh, deserve to be criticized. But his claims of improved creativity and cognition with the use of small doses of psychedelics, well, these are now uh, getting traction with researchers who are studying microdosing. Uh, microdosing is the the uh, idea that you can take very small doses of these psychedelic substances, about 10 to 20% of the dose that would cause uh, visions and uh, altered uh, mental effects. And that uh, those small doses uh, would allow you to, to lead a happier life. Uh, you would be less angry, uh, fewer fights with uh, with people and uh, there's a lot of interesting research going on in in this area there you know there might be something to this microdosing, and uh, Timothy Leary does deserve some credit for introducing that uh, that concept now, if uh, any of you want to pay homage to uh, John Lennon and uh, Yoko Ono and I guess to Timothy Leary was involved also in singing that uh, song uh, about uh, peace, giving peace a chance, all you have to do is take a walk on Mount Royal. You can go up Peel Street, go up the Peel Street steps, and uh, as you walk along the path there, you'll come to a, a sculpture. The the sculpture is basically some limestone slabs that are uh, in the path, but each one of these slabs is an, Great with the phrase, give me a chance, or give peace a chance in one of 40 languages. So give peace a chance in one of 40 languages. You can walk over those slabs, contemplate them. I think we need to bring some uh, you know, politicians from around the world here to walk along there and take a look at that sculpture uh, depicting give peace a chance in uh, one of uh, 40 languages. Uh, one of those 40 languages is uh, is Russian. Okay. Uh, I think we have Sonia on the line. Sonia.
1: Yeah. Hello, Dr. Joe. I have hey. a question for you. I live on a farm. It's mostly hay. And we grow organic vegetables. However, um, I noticed that my apple tree, it's five years I live on this farm. Uh but um I have bi I think they're called biannual mushrooms. And I've got quite a few different ones. I think I've got pink ladies and I got the little tiny button ones.
0: You know how many and, species uh, of mushrooms there are in the world? Oh I no, I think something like twenty thousand. Twenty oh, thousand different
1: fung- fungi, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I just check for um, the veins underneath. That's what I try to do, and mm-hmm. then uh, I might leave them sit overnight in a cool spot. Mm-hmm. And if there's if they don't uh, turn, then I, I cook them. Mm-hmm. I cook them because uh, I don't have any problem with that. But those, it's the little button ones, and you know, I find that the area, like the uh, the soil, and because I'm near a river. It uh, it all blends in, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I, I feel you, I mean, safe enough. I, I feel safe enough eating my mushrooms. There's a lot of but... lot
0: of positive things about mushrooms, for sure. Uh, many of them have all kinds of health uh, health properties, but you just have to be absolutely sure. You know what, which mushrooms you're collecting, because, of course, some of them are are incredibly toxic. Um, so, uh, you know, things like muscaria which is relatively easy to recognize because those are sort of reddish with white spots on on, on them. Uh, and then you have the, the psychedelic mushrooms, the psilocybe mushrooms. Uh, there are many species of those, but they generally have a very thin, long stem so that you can recognize them. Uh, like and, really and
1: tiny, eh?
0: Yes, they're, <laughs> they're tiny. And then, unfortunately, there's the fallowy days, which which are are deadly. So, you know, I mean, if you're sure, you know what you're doing. Yeah, mushrooms uh, uh, are are great, and there's you know uh, some of them like the shiitake mushrooms, uh, which have been studied and they have health properties. But just make sure that uh, you're collecting the safe mushrooms.
1: Takes years to be a good farmer. Years. Yeah,
0: of course, the safest <laughs> place, the safest place to collect uh, mushrooms is in the grocery store. <laughs> Had a question about how to uh, accelerate uh, decomposition of compost. Well, there are many ways that that can be done. I can tell you that there's extensive literature on that, so you can very easily find uh, answers. Uh, there there are commercial products that you can buy which contain bacteria or various enzymes that will speed up uh, this. That's probably the easiest way to, to do that. Uh, or you can uh, add some uh, manure, you know, rabbit, uh, uh, droppings are are good. Uh, You can add some cat droppings, but it's easier to use the commercial uh, bacteria. You can also throw in a cup of ammonia uh, that will act as a a fertilizer in there. So there are many ways to do this. And as I said, there's extensive literature, so uh, you can readily find an answer to that. So, along with uh, millions and millions of people, yesterday I did get up at 5 a.m. in order to watch the coronation. Oh, I, I know that there's going to be some sourpusses out there who say, you know, the the monarchy is outdated and shouldn't be giving publicity to it, waste of money and all of this. Well, what yeah okay uh there there, there are um uh, you know uh, people who do dislike the monarchy for various reasons I like pageantry. I, I I like it. I like tradition, uh, and uh, I don't think that everything has to be, you know, analyzed in in total depth. You know, I mean, there are some things out there that you can just uh, just enjoy. I I think that the the organization of such a massive event and all the 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 color, uh, I think, uh, is is just neat. I I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't personally like Charles that much. I'll tell you that, uh, mostly because of his views on you know alternative medicine and his championing of homeopathy, which to me is you know the most absurd of all of of, of the alternative uh, practices. Uh, but I don't think he's a bad guy. I, I you know uh, he's got some good ideas about architecture. He's got some good ideas about the uh, environment. Uh, so anyway, I I. I I did enjoy uh, the coronation, but the the reason that that uh, I want to talk about this here. Is because there was a coronation food, as tradition has it, the 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 monarch always suggests some food that people will have uh, for lunch and the street fairs that accompany coronation to to kind of mark the e- event. Uh, when Queen Elizabeth uh, was crowned, uh, her dish was chicken curry, and uh, coronation curry is still sold in in England. Well, Charles and Camilla decided on, on something else. They wanted something simple that could be cooked up by everyone, uh, that had ingredients that were readily available, and something that was sort of uh, of British. Well, believe it or not, they chose the quiche. Well, not just any quiche. Uh, it is a quiche that was developed by Mark Flanagan, who's the royal chef. And this coronation quiche is made with spinach, uh, with uh, fava beans uh, called broad beans in England, cheddar cheese, tarragon, and uh, obviously cream and and eggs. Well, obviously, there, there was controversy about it. There's controversy about everything these days. I don't think that there's anything, any topic that you can talk about that is not going to generate some disagreement and some uh, uh, controversy. And there is about this as well. Some criticized Charles and Camilla for choosing a French dish. Well, it actually isn't French. Believe it or not, uh, quiche traces back to to Germany in the Middle Ages. And it was first uh, made in a a province then known as Lüthringen and uh, this area was uh, ceded to france in 1871 after the franco-german war and it's the area that was renamed lorraine and of course we're familiar with quiche lorraine but it traveled to england and it became very popular Uh, so the the quiche has long been consumed in in england then of course there were people who criticized it because of its nutritional downfall talking about the 18 grams of saturated fat that were in a serving of the cornish and quiche. Well, yeah, that's that's a lot of saturated fat. That's about five grams more than suggested maximum for a day. And of course uh, the pastry is made with lard. uh, There's cholesterol in that lard. And of course, a lot of saturated fat. There's butter uh, and uh, of course the eggs. And the lard, the butter, and the eggs have cholesterol, and you'll uh, exceed your 300 milligram suggested daily intake of uh, cholesterol when you eat a serving of uh, of coronation um, quiche. That that much is is true. Uh, and look, let's face it: this is not quote the the healthiest food. If you want healthy food, you know, make yourself a vegetable stir fry. But uh, as I've said before. I do have an issue with uh, individual foods being classified as healthy or unhealthy. Uh, I I think that's the wrong way to go. Uh, It's the overall diet that matters. You know, I mean, we hear about so-called superfoods now, depending on which day of the week it is and what publication you're looking at, that superfood may be blueberries, it may be mushrooms, it may be uh, turmeric, it may be uh, avocado, it may be edamame. Uh, there are all these claims about superfoods. Then, of course, there are or all of the nasties that we're told we shouldn't be eating, uh, you know, the, the hot dogs and and uh, 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 pizza and, uh, you know, cakes and cookies of, of all kinds. Well, I just think it, it's wrong to evaluate every morsel that goes into our mouth and every drop of beverage that we swallow as uh, being uh, angelic or demonic. Uh, I think that's a folly. Uh, What we have to look at is the overall diet. It is possible to have a diet that includes blueberries and avocados and still ends up being a pretty bad diet, depending on what else is consumed. It is also possible to never eat blueberries or avocado or any of the other so-called superfoods and still have a healthy diet. Uh, Whenever people ask me to to sort of give a comment on their particular diet, uh, what I always say is, look, if you give me a a two-week menu, if you write down scrupulously everything that you eat over a two-week period, and exactly how much of it you eat, then I think I can make an educated guess about whether or not you are following a, a good diet or, or a poor diet. But uh, I can't say anything about one meal or even one day. It's uh, over a long period that, that it matters. All of this is to say that it is certainly possible to eat a quiche whether it's a coronation quiche or a spinach quiche or a quiche Lorraine, it certainly is possible to have that as part of a diet that we can still call healthy. It all depends on how often you eat it, what you eat along with it. And uh, generally one eats a, a nice salad along with with, with a quiche. So anyway, uh, I, I'm not, going to poke fun at charles and and camilla or castigate them for choosing a quiche as their coronation dish uh especially because i like quiche no i don't eat it every day but you know what i i will actually eat it tonight i did buy one i must say it's a store-bought quiche i wasn't gonna make it but uh You know, I like the pageantry, I I liked the coronation, and I'm a big Anglophile, I I love Shakespeare, I love uh, Agatha Christie, Dorothy Sayers, uh, obviously Conan Doyle, uh, scientists, you know, from Newton to to Faraday to, to Crick. Uh, so I I celebrate uh, uh, England on, on this day. I'm going to have my quiche tonight uh, without any remorse. All right. I'm still looking for the answer to my question about why kispeptin, the hormone, is called kispeptin. And uh, you know what? I guess I better give you a clue. It has something to do with the city where the research was done. That should solve it for you. And the other question, still hanging out there. 42-year-old man experienced fatal cardiac arrhythmia after repeated, purposeful exposure to difluoroethane. Why was he doing this? What consumer product did he use as a source of this chemical? 514-790-0800 is our number. You can text your questions and comments to 514-800. And just as I got... uh, Telling you through telling you that there's no such thing as a superfood. I want to talk a little bit about blueberries. <laughs> and uh, those of you who follow my little videos that I put out a couple of times a week will know all uh, all about this. Incidentally, uh, for those of you who do want to get involved and see my, there are roughly three-minute videos that I put out uh, twice a week on, on some current topic of interest. Um, all you have to do is email me, uh, tell me your email address, and I'll put you on the on the mailing list, and they're short. I think they're informative and entertaining. Uh, so give me uh, just an email. My email address is joe, J-O-E dot S-C-H-W-A-R-C-Z, C-Z, not T-Z at the end, at mcgill.ca. So joe.schwartz at mcgill.ca, you can give me an email with your email address. I'll put you on the on the list. And uh, this week you would have heard all about blueberries and about how good news about these uh, berries keeps coming. And uh, so the the reason I was talking about it is because there was a study that came out of uh, King's College in, in London, which, of course, is a very reputable place and um, what they did was carry out a a proper randomized double-blind study and you know i always like to talk about those because this is you know what we think is meaningful in in science not the anecdotal uh, accounts but when someone really carries out a a study and they did this with freeze-dried blueberry uh, powder and uh, what they uh, did was they measured blood pressure, they measured blood flow, uh, they, they uh, looked at short-term memory, uh, ability to focus, you know, while someone was trying to distract people. And uh, the results were, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, they took 61 subjects, they were aged between 65 and 80, then they divided into an experimental group and a control group. And every day, the experimental group drank a beverage uh, that contained 26 grams of freeze-dried blueberry powder. And that's roughly equivalent to about 80 blueberries. And the control group consumed the beverage uh, that tasted just like the uh, experimental beverage, it looked the same it you know it was it was colored, it had roughly the same nutritional content. The only thing it didn't have was was the blueberry component, so they uh, found these positive uh results with blood pressure memory, etc i mean not you know stunning but but certainly statistically significant. And the researchers ascribe these benefits to the anthocyanins, and these are the blue pigments in, in blueberries. They, they fall into the chemical family that we call polyphenols. And uh, we've spoken about these before, and uh, they have been shown to have health benefits in a number of studies uh, because uh, they are antioxidants, means that they they can sort of mop up the potentially cell-damaging free radicals. And uh, there are other possibilities. Uh, Polyphenols uh, uh, may be triggering the production of nitric oxide in the body. Nitric oxide is a neurotransmitter, very interesting one, because it's the only gas that's a neurotransmitter. And uh, uh, nitric oxide improves blood flow. Uh, And indeed, that's the magic behind Viagra. The way Viagra functions is by increasing nitric oxide and increasing uh, blood flow to the... Important area and question. Uh, the researchers also say there's another possibility that the anthocyanins may have an effect on the microbiome. And, you know, that's the set of bacteria that inhabit our gut. And indeed, they play a surprising role in the maintenance of health. Uh, some of these bacteria produce butyrate and this uh, compound can enter circulation and it has anti-inflammatory effects and that have been linked with uh, reduction in uh, cardiovascular disease so we don't really know by what mechanism blueberries you know perform their uh, the beneficial function that the researchers found found here uh, and of course, blueberries are not the only foods that contain anthocyanins, but they are indeed the uh, richest common source. There are other sources, chokeberries, elderberries, and black raspberries that, that have more. Black raspberries, incidentally, are not the same as blackberries. Uh, black raspberries have more anthocyanins than, than blackberries. Um, anyway, uh, you know there are other fruits and vegetables that contain anthocyanins. Uh, you know things like eggplant, for example, the, the blue color of eggplant. But uh, the blueberries are by far the most readily available food that has a high anth- anthocyanin uh, content. So, should you be eating eighty blueberries a day? I don't know of any downside uh, to that, and to uh, tell you the truth, I I try to do that. I, I uh, at the very least I like blueberries, so they're you know very tasty. And um, what uh, I do virtually every morning for for breakfast. I eat my blueberries and uh, I add to that whatever other berries available. Uh, When uh, raspberries are not exorbitantly priced, I add some raspberries um, or some strawberries or sometimes even some, some grapes. But, but uh, I, I do focus in on, on the blueberries because researchers have focused in on that and have actually, you know, found some benefit. Now, again, it's not a superfood, but uh, you know what? It, it's better to have uh, berries for breakfast than a Danish. So, you know, why not do that? Uh, I find out that I, I, I still am somewhat hungry after I eat my berries. So I, I do eat some sourdough toast with avocado. And as you know, there are all kinds of stories about avocados being uh, beneficial as, as well. So, uh, that's the story of blueberries. And, uh, I did a little video on that as I do on, you know, some interesting topic every couple of days. And as I said, if you want to get in on that fun, just send me an email with your email and I will put you on uh, the list. And uh, my email is uh, joe.short, S-C-H-W-A-R-C-Z at McGill.ca. And let me remind you, uh, once more to check out our website mcgill.ca slash oss if you would like to join us next thursday for a screening of the movie virulent but what i should add is that after the movie we will have a discussion with the uh, producer and the director of the film who were flying in from los angeles so if you like to hobnob a little bit with Hollywood personalities, and you wanna see a really good film, uh, go to the website, mcgill.ca slash OSS, and uh, register for seven o'clock on Thursday night. And that's it for today. We have run out of time, but we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.